say a prayer. We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are certain days when being a pastor is not a hard thing to do. There are certain days when it is kind of a hard thing to do. But on a day like today where I woke up and I was thinking to myself what we get to talk about today, which is the key word of grace, sola gratia, by grace alone. That's not hard to talk about at all because it truly is the heartbeat of the, of the Christian heart. And I want to talk about it with you today. And I want to start by by. by, by doing something that I've been told helps really think through the definition of a word. I was told that when I was growing up that if you really knew what a word meant, it would not be hard to identify the opposite of that word. So we got some children here, and and, and you don't have to raise your hand, but let's just see how well we do, and if the parents want to help out, they can, but let's just, let's start, let's start simple here. Opposites. Opposite of up is down. down. Jillian's on it. Good. Uh, left, right. Very good. Win, Yankees. I mean, lose, lose. That's right. Oh, okay. All right. That wasn't. That wasn't. But it is true, right? Okay. So win, lose. Good. Um, good. Bad. All right. So the kids have passed. Now it's time for the parents. Grace. Ungrace? No. Have you thought about it? I heard one back here. What, what? Condemnation? I think it's in the sphere. But, but really, when you hear the word grace, and it's such a commonly spoken of word in church, what does it really mean? And why is it so incredibly vital to us? I want you to leave here this morning with a renewed definition in your mind. But what is more, I want you to leave here this morning knowing what the opposite of grace would look like in our lives. And it's not a pretty thing. You see, when, I, when we talk about grace, we're talking about that un deserved love that God pours out on us. And for a great section on seeing just what that looks like, we turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and have a look here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. 1 through 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the word of our Lord. I always like to set the context to make sure that we're all seeing how these words kind of tie together with the overarching theme. And, and let's do that. It starts with those for that phrase, as for you. But just before this section, Paul wasn't talking to you. He was talking about someone else. He was talking about Jesus. If you look at the end of, of chapter 1, he kind of gets caught up, as Paul is known to do, in the amazingness, if that's a word, of, of who Jesus is. And so, he goes on record saying that Jesus is the one who, who rose from the dead. He is the one who is far superior to all leaders, all rulers. He's the one who's seated up in heaven now. Basically, in short, he's saying Jesus is the most amazing Savior you could have. He is your Lord. And as for you... That's how he, he, he turns the phrase. He gets done talking about Jesus, and now at the beginning of, of chapter 2, he turns the focus and he says, and as for you, how would you answer that question? Here's Jesus, Lord and Savior, perfect conqueror of death, victorious in all things, and as for you, well, he... He says you're dead. Dead, he says. Now, that is a hard word for us to hear because he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so when we talk about being dead, we normally think of the physical death where I no longer have a pulse, my heart's not beating, I'm not breathing. And you look around and you look at each other and you say, there are a bunch of alive people here. And Paul certainly wasn't writing the letter to people who were in the grave. But he calls them dead. What kind of dead is he talking about? I, yesterday I had an interesting conversation. I'm going to get in trouble if she's here. Okay, my youngest daughter, she asked me, so dad, what do I need to know about the zombie apocalypse. I've never had that question, nor did I ever think I would get that question from my daughter, and I told her I have no idea about the zombie apocalypse. But that's not even the kind of dead that Paul's talking about. The walking around of the proverbial undead. 
He's talking about being dead in transgressions and sin. He's talking about everything that is good and right and just, everything that represents God. He's talking about our very nature, which God had created us to be, walking in perfection with him, has been turned off so much so that it's dead. It has no life in it. And the result of our sins is that we are separated from God and from eternal life. Man, if I could have the right to take certain sections of God's word out and throw them away, this would be one of them because I hate being told that I am dead in my sins. And yet, that's what Scripture says time and time again. It says, you've earned it. You deserve it. And you're living it because what does he say? And he uses these really picturesque words. You gratify the cravings of your sinful nature. It means we give in all the time. It means our our sinful nature puts that idea in our mind. Hey, forget about what God's will is. Wouldn't it be nice to just, and then you fill in the blank. And then we gratify it. You know, we can't help ourselves. We fall into the trap. We follow its desires and thoughts. And he says it's common in the world that we live in because he says you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul's simply saying you guys are playing a game of follow the leader but you have the wrong leader. You're following the ways of this world which is, I'm going to use the phrase, hell-bent on not serving God but on doing everything their own way And there we are, first in line, saying, follow the leader, I want to gratify my sinful desires. And God says, you're dead. But actually, that's not what he said. And hopefully, you were about to call me out on that. He didn't say you are dead. He said you were dead. There's a big difference. And look at what he says. As for you, you you were dead dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, the reason why Paul is writing to the Ephesians and and the reason why we are studying this today is because he's saying it is by grace alone that we are talking about something that is so far different than what you expected. He's saying, you know what you deserved. You've looked in God's word and you've looked in the mirror, the beautiful mirror of God's, God's law, which tells us his precious will for us at all times and all places. And we look in the mirror and we see a corpse. So, something that has died because they don't, it doesn't keep God's will perfectly. We see our sin and, and it's what keeps us up at night. It's what grinds on our conscience. It's what we, we feel horrible carrying around the, the, the skeletons in the closet and the, the misdeeds of our youth. And, and we feel horrible. We see it so clearly. And he says, but you were dead to those things. You were dead as a result of those things. You were 
You no longer are, he says. Because this is the new reality. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, let's take a look at the past so that we can define the present. And he's saying the past tells you that you were dead. In fact, we we talk about being born dead in our sins. But now, everything's changed. God's great love for us has made us alive. It's given us a new life. And it's by grace you have been saved. Sometimes you might be talking with a friend, you might be talking with yourself, and you hear these words come out of your mouth, friend, you you need to stop living in the past. Sometimes we, we, we try to live in the past because we're either scared or unsure of what the future holds, and so it's hard to turn the page and we go back to what we know. And what Paul is telling the Ephesians is you gotta stop living in the past. Because the past was horrific. You were dead in your sins. Stop running back to that. Let's look at the present and the future. You are now raised to life. You have new life in Christ. And all of those things which had killed you, you're saved from those things. And the logical question is, how in the world could such a beautiful thing happen? How in the world could I go from being dead in my sin to having a new life, a new hope, a new purpose, being right with God? And it's the word grace. And when we see that word grace, we see the absolute opposite of what we deserve. I said the word opposite. Because I want you to think once again about the way we started. Opposites and really understanding what key words mean. If grace is undeserved love, then the opposite of grace is what we do deserve. It's deserved destruction, deserved disfavor, deserved you fill in the blank but it's not good. It's what we deserve. And so when we look at these sections of God's word which highlight grace, we are washed again in the truth that what we receive isn't what we deserve. It's so much greater. It's by grace we have been saved. Your life, like mine, is marked by Ups and downs. I think if we were to go around the, the church this morning and, and you were to talk, you might even have some examples of this past week where you had your, your good day and your bad day. Or if you go back all the way through the beginning of your life to the end and you talk about your, your mountaintop moments, everything was great, it was going well, and then you have your valleys where, where the bottom was falling out and it goes ups and downs. 
all of that pales in comparison to what Paul talks about here. The extreme valley of being dead in our sins and now the peak of standing firm on God's grace and knowing that your sins are forgiven. It's almost as if you could go no higher, but Paul does. Paul goes on to say, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable or incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Fancy words, beautiful words, but what he's saying is this, as good as God's grace is now, you haven't seen anything yet. Because there will be a time in the future when you are standing face to face with God. When you are joining the eternities of heaven with him and you will see the full plentitude of God's grace on display. And all of it just has to be, be, be seen and witnessed and enjoyed in the concept of who would have thought that I dead in my sins, could experience such joy. It's truly undeserved. And that's what grace is. We are saved by grace. And as you're looking through scriptures, just look through it at one time through the the focal lenses of what I deserve and what I receive. And as you're looking through the life of Christ and his work, look, at th- look through it with the, the twofold purpose of that which I deserve and that which I receive. Look at that section from John chapter 8 through the eyes of that adulterous woman and say, what do I deserve and what do I receive? And then put yourself there and say, what do I deserve and what do I receive? You receive Christ. You receive the Son of God who has taken your place and taken all of your sins, those murderous sins, the sins that kill you, he's taken it on himself. And he's handed to you his perfection. That's grace. Purely undeserved. But for us all. You go back to the beginning and you think through of key words like grace and you are reminded of why as a church we celebrate things like the Reformation. Because it reminds us of what these key truths are. I know that you're busy people and I know that you have a lot of things on your mind but if you want a greater capacity to think about all the other things in your life, then take the time to treasure grace. Before you get into it with your spouse over that thing that he or she did wrong, before you haul off and, and yell at your kid, but before you, you lose it with your 
boss, treasure grace for a moment and say, Lord, how did I get here? Standing in your goodwill and favor. And you'll see Christ as the answer. And you'll see what undeserved love looks like and you will see why we as a church can never let go of that because it's one of the pillars of who we are. I don't know that the next time you hear the word grace, you're going to automatically think of the opposite word, deserved disfavor. doesn't really stick in your mind. But I do want you to think of an image. If your child or your friend asks you what grace is, I simply want you to think of a tombstone. Because that's where we would be without it. But by grace, we who were dead in our sins have been raised to a new life, confident of our footing, made holy in Christ, and eagerly awaiting eternal life. It's by grace we are saved. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.